0: Welcome to FIC Focus, where Bloomberg Intelligence Fixed Income Credit Currency and commodities Strategists and Analysts discuss their short and long-term views on debt markets and issuers. Now, here's the Bloomberg Intelligence FIC Research Team. Rates are higher
1: for longer, if we're being honest, and the curve is pancaking once again. Fixed income losses will become headline fodder as we go into the next cycle. However, with every tick higher in benchmark yields, municipals are afforded an opportunity set that many in our asset class have not seen in their entire career. And for those investors focused on building an income stream and less on the immediate statement mark to markets, munis are becoming the must have accessory for this fall season. Joining myself and Karen Altamirano this month to discuss the latest run-up in rates, macro headwinds impacting our market, and possibly what technological changes in munis might actually mean to our market is James Praskowski, Chief Investment Officer and Head of Global Client Business at 16 Rock Asset Management. Prior to 16 Rock, James spent the majority of his career at BlackRock as Managing Director and Global Chief Investment Officer for Muni Bonds, Institutional and Wealth Management James, thanks so much for joining us this month. Appreciate it, Eric. Thanks. Yeah. So let's just sort of hop right into the conversation. There's a ton going on right now globally that's impacting our market in more than one way. Obviously, the thing we can point to right now is sort of rates ticking higher, whether that's due to reinflation or other market forces. But, you know, what are you seeing for Q4 and how this is all playing out for the muni market?
2: Yeah, I think, um, you know, there's been a lot of talk about, um, you know, a generational opportunity and fixed income, and I wholeheartedly agree with that. Um, you know, I think much of the debate is about the uh, what type of landing, you know, soft, hard or, or uh, no landing at all. Um you know, we are of the opinion that, you know, things are going to get more challenging than they are, you know, uh, particularly on the soft side, uh, at least in terms of the outcome. And, you know, we very well could be at a position where there's an imminent recession risk on the horizon. Um, I think it's, you know, it's pretty interesting over the last couple of weeks or at least the last two weeks, given the the, the breakout of war with Hamas and Israel, uh, just the Fed rhetoric that has changed in terms of um, a little bit more on the dovish side than than hawkish. And the um, you know the conversation has shifted much around not how high the, the funds rate will go, but for how long it would stick there. So I think you know, admittedly, I think the, the market is at a position where you know it's doing a lot of the a lot of the work for the Fed. And you know, it, you're never really going to be able to call the bottom. But I think you know today's environment over the next quarter, you know, is going to be one where you're significantly warded uh building in strategic um you know book values and book yield uh to create long-term opportunity in portfolios in a diversified fashion you know we're at a point right now of um you know some pretty high supply in a year that's you know been down um you know tremendously and um, it's a good entry point, I think. Um, you know, one of the, the realities of high rates is just the multiple with uh, tax exemption. You know, the higher the rate, the greater the multiple is. Um, if you're afforded the shelter and, and you, you do pay high tax, um, so. You know, I think that said, you know, we, you know, with all this and you know, potential of an imminent recession, you know, the credit can, the credit environment uh, is obviously changing, you know, geographically and you know, on the micro level, you know, from from both a revenue and, and geo perspective. Um, so it's you know, obviously very important as you as you layer into markets and, and book yields to build a diversified portfolio around some of those macro themes. Um, you know, I think just holistically, I mean, munis land best in, a, in, a, in, in that type of environment. When we're talking about monopolistic credits with rate-setting autonomy, low default rates, high recovery yeah. rates, and sticky tra- rating transition risk. So, um, You're hitting all the yeah, high points, you know, I love it. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, it, it's not to say that we're, you know, every credit is a, is an all-in-one solution. Um, because it's not, I mean, there are problems out there, but, um, you know, the idea here is that, you know, the asset class is, um, you know, a pretty belt and suspenders asset class holistically. I think high quality assets are where you want to hide out in in this environment. Munis are sticking out and there's plenty of diversification benefits that are scalable, um, within this market
0: so let's um back up for a sec i know um a lot of our listeners know who you are james but um for any of our listeners that might not know you i think it'd be good to kind of just uh set the table and then learn a little bit about your background and how you ended up at 16. oh
2: wow my background wow i uh (laughs) i grew up in killington vermont um my parents taught me how to ski when i was uh three years old um i was on the gondola you know the gondola in killington um Mm-hmm. And I uh, saw some guy coming down the, the slopes on a, what turned out to be a winter stick, which used to be a snowboard. Um, and I had been an avid or a fan of skateboarding uh, and the alternative sports. And uh, we had driven down to uh, Jake Burton's factory in, in uh, Ludlow, Vermont, and picked up a yeah. couple boards. And one thing led to another. Um, in high school, I got really good at it. I turned pro and um, uh, traveled around, the fortunate to travel around the country uh, competing. And I had this just love affair for competing. Um, and, uh, you know, by the time I was in, in, uh, you know, freshman here in high school, I blew up my knee and, and really, uh, you know, really came back to my roots, which is my father was an accountant, a developer, and always kept us really grounded. And that's when I uh, really laid into, laid into education and really taken a, a love for markets. I had a great mentor, just in terms of my my father, uh, had a great mentor, which was still in the market as a, as a professor at uh, Fairleigh Dickinson University. And, um, you know, it was weird. I mean, you know, back then, you know, the Internet was just being created. Um, you know, CNBC was just launching and all the rage was Ivy League. And I had none of that. Um, I, I was smart at math and... Um, you know i was street smart in terms of my uh terms of my background and um you know voila! i just did a did a lot of research and um oddly enough blackrock put an ad in the paper for a bank wreck <laughs> and uh, uh <laughs> yeah you know, pretty funny is you know at that time it's really um you know who you could hook your trailer up to to get the best um education and be afforded the most flexibility and uh, be surrounded by some really smart people. And that's how I ended up at BlackRock in 1994 as an intern.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would imagine you really saw it from its infancy into sort of the tremendous sort of like size behemoth that it is today. I mean, so definitely you probably have a lot of tales you could share with us sort of offline and don't have to delve too much into podcast. But, you know, I guess what would be interesting, and I think people listening would appreciate, you know, now that you've been at a larger firm and now at a more boutique place, you know, talk to us about the differences in how you're viewing the market from those two different seats. Yeah, I mean, that's
2: a, that's a great question. I mean, um, you know, hey, James, why'd you go from the world's largest asset manager to the smallest? Um, well, I mean, it comes down to I have, uh, you know, I have opinions and I have views and I see a major shift occurring in the markets, particularly in the asset management industry. Um, I think, you know, when you look back on this year, much of last year, I'd like to call it the great reset. Um, it's defined by, um, consolidations, large layoffs, compensation resets, uh, higher regulation, um, a war on junior talent and fee compression that has pressured operating margins and a transition, I guess, similar to 08, which was, um, an investment in technology—the outcome that is—whereas this one's uh, a very similar investment. At the center of, of what's going on is, um, you know, that skilled labor shortage is really on the technology side in terms of how do you how do you gut the middle or how do you program the middle? And for our industry in a world of you know, um, lower fees, fee compression, um, you know, what does that what does that all mean in terms of portfolio construction? Um, so, you know, I, I really saw an opportunity or see, a, see an opportunity to engage clients in a different way, particularly on a smaller scale basis. I'll categorize that clients under five billion or even a billion or even a hundred million or less. Um, I think that, you know, the jury's out on t- technology and, and, and the streamlining of processes in terms of what that means for performance and c- customization. Um, you know, I think that, you know, clearly with ETFs cannibalizing our industry to some degree, um, are you actually delivering beta like performance and, you know, how, you know, taking that in consideration with this sector, um, you know, it's a tough business to scale. And, you know, when you get to a certain size and, you know, this is just not my former employer, this is a lot of the industry competitors. You know it becomes really difficult and you know the average deal size for example in mutis is what 30 35 million it's not a corporate bond like instrument you know we're a regional based system
1: um, that is uh takes a more acute focus so i mean like for those not familiar with 16 rock uh you know talk to us about you know the firm and and you know how you're going about building up the asset management side uh you know how it's sort of different as far as you know the, the approach and sort of, um, I would say, more sophisticated nuances that you're able to sort of execute with a smaller platform.
2: Yeah, right. So, um, you know, when I was out looking, I, I, I knew very well I couldn't do this alone. No matter what your background or how talented you are, it's impossible. Um, you know, one of the, the biggest benefits of, of, of BlackRock is just being surrounded by A-plus talent, the collaboration and the and the water cooler moments that that get created. Um But there was no reason why I couldn't do that elsewhere. And, um, you know, the parent company, 16th Amendment, was founded by two individuals, Jed McCarthy and John Lee, um, who are, you know, Jed's a living legacy in this industry. um, Former partner at Prager McCarthy with an incredible track record and, um, you know, well-built infrastructure to engage in the street. Successful products, but, you know, never really open to outside investors. And coupled with my track record and skills, you know, really guys that, that shared similar interests and, and hunger for the game to deliver thoughtful solutions in this more challenging, scalable, hard to scale market to clients. Um, and, you know, what we're really designed to do is, is to deliver, you know, managed accounts uh, in, a, in a highly customized way. Um, for example, global regulation on solvency two, Basel three, some of the changes with the NAIC, or even just lifestyle requirements for individuals. The product we're leading with is, you know, our LP, which is an alternative vehicle focused on um, all the infrastructure, all the uh, fragmentation, and, and the inherent complexities within the market—a space that doesn't have deep competitors. Um, especially with the skilled labor that I think we we really bring to the table.
0: So coming back to your um, processes, from a portfolio management perspective, are there any credits or sectors that are already facing challenges Any area that is making you implement, um, let's say, defensive strategy?
2: Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's pretty easy to say that all is well in muniland because tax receipts are up thanks to higher inflation you got more prudent management, um, hence, you know, lower supply and more focus on, uh, building back reserves and that cushion has created much comfort, but, you know, to your point, I mean, and to, to my earlier point about imminent risks, um, clearly I think we're at a, at a, at a peak rating cycle and and the acute challenges arguably are, you know, could or should, and already starting in, in certain sectors and, and, and credits. You know, uh, California th- at the most top level, um, you know, goes from boom to bust pretty pretty quick given the reliance on capital gains tax um, and some of the structure around uh, paying public school teachers. Um, we seem to have forgotten about, you know, the underfunded pension plans and who are those problem states. So geographically, I think you could dissect that theme and, and be able to express and help guard against, um, you know, future Future risk and and capitalize on, on performance, um, you know I think already arguably there's there's challenges that are popping up in you know CCRCs continuing care retirement communities um, where I think defaults are are leading the way. Um, I think the uh, private education space um, we're not talking about the Ivy Leagues but the many small uh, universities most reliant on tuition um, clearly are facing challenges and what demographic areas do they really define economies? Um, and, you know, from, from, you know, the more opportunistic side, you know, clearly, you know, utilities, and I would just highlight water and sewer over public power. I think public power has, you know, probably more challenges related to some of the climate transitions going on. And, um, you know, I think you got to really think long and hard how you express even you know, uh, 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 investments in in transportation, such as airports and and managed toll roads, if you will, given this new work from home uh, environment. So there's a lot to lot to you know dissect and, and debate, um, but I think there's a, a pretty pretty sound investment ideas that are being
1: created right now. You know, it's it's interesting, and I was talking about this earlier uh, with a bunch of the folks in the in the mini chat that we've gotten more calls about municipal space from non-traditional sort of cross-asset buyers than my whole you know tenure at bloomberg going back to like 2017 and it's pretty interesting to me because as, as sort of bad as the market feels right now i take that as a very big silver lining because there's finally a lot of people poking their heads up and realizing that there is an opportunity set here that might be worth exploring. I mean, are you guys seeing that from folks coming out of the woodwork that you normally wouldn't, you know, have the opportunity to speak to?
2: Yeah, I mean, good point. You know, um, you know, very much so. Similar rhetoric from clients. Um, conversations even more so today than last week. Um, I think you know the realities are that you know it's it's stars that shine brightest in darkest times, and you know we have an entry into yeah. some of the opportunities now, thanks to the higher supply uh, than we've seen all year, coupled with um, the fact that it's coming at a time when rates are are significantly higher. I think you know yeah. the focus is clearly on you know the correlation benefits of of the market being that you know it it lacks correlation, it's uncorrelated to some degree. And, you know, it's often discounted, especially on the global scale. And we're talking about the tax exempt market, given the fact that, you know, it's typically lower yielding than alternative asset classes. Um, So you can size up the market in relative to corporate bonds and say it's rich, even though it's cheap versus treasuries and all these other things. But the credit component is also an important conversation point um, that we're having in the sense of what I made before, which is muni credit is more monopolistic, lands better in a in a challenging uh, uh, macro credit environment. So that has something to do with it.
1: I I mean, I agree with you. I think one of the things that concerns me just from, from an observational standpoint is that spreads really haven't reacted to any sort of potential economic slowdown in the US, right? They still look historically tight um, there has been some widening, but certainly not what you'd expect, especially in, in you know inner city areas like San Francisco, city and county, or, or or New York City, where you know they definitely have some problems surrounding commercial real estate or, or migrant housing. You know, you know, definitely some pressures on the budgets. Is that something that you're anticipating going into the next several quarters, and, and how are you hedging against that?
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, the, the point on credit not widening as much. I, you know, I, I think there's, you know, too much cash chasing too few assets. I think there's too much cash sitting in money markets waiting for confirmation of the Fed that they're done. Um, arguably, you know, the engagement now is about getting ahead of that. Um, and, you know, it's, it's funny. You know, we have this debate as a two-year investment at 5%, you know, better than a, than a 30-year investment at 5% where we're at in the cycle. Um, and I would argue the back end of the yield curve looks uh, fantastic, uh, even at uh, even at you know fair to arguably sometimes full spreads here right now. Um, you know it's not it's a it's a pretty uneven conversation given the financing that's going on or some of the credit flow situations that you're that you're describing. Um, so you know that said, I I, I do think you want to 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 guard or hide out in the higher quality sectors. We'll talk about that as. Uh, the, the the agricultural rich states the states that don't have underfunded pension problems um, it, revenue sectors such as water and sewer that help guard you against some of the the challenges that exist within healthcare or, or the the riskier sectors like CCRC um, and you know I mean the market lacks hedging instruments. Um, it's long only. It's passively owned. Uh, we defease lifestyles. The competitors are, you know, um, 401ks and things like that. That you really need to think about things a little differently and, and why people or the use cases of muti bonds. Um, so you know, there's ways to help guard against shocks, not just credit and where you take uh, uh, risk along the maturity curve or couponing structures and and all those sorts of things. Um, you know, obviously, you know, you could express hedges and futures. You could write rate locks on various ind- or uh, the rate lock market or total return swaps on various indices. Um, you could borrow against the ETFs, albeit expensive, and do all
1: sorts of different yeah. things. Do you think we'll ever see the return of the muni futures market? Uh, the widow maker. <laughs> <laughs> uh, nah, let that die. All right. I mean, it's interesting because you mentioned, you know, it's a long, only market and everybody's chief complaint is that there's no natural way to hedge um, other than just not buying munis. Right. So it's just interesting that no one has successfully been able to sort of resurrect that from the dead. But I I can see where your sentiment is on that. Yeah. No,
2: I mean, there's there's other ways to get creative to um, to hedge out, uh, not just credit risk, uh, not just interest rate risk, but credit risk. You know, thanks to a couple of yeah. bull- bulleted uh, taxable maturities, you could actually go short the market in some degree.
0: But in, in addition to the um, yield advantage that you were pointing out earlier, you know, volatility has been a recurring theme for the for the bond market in general. And I saw in uh, your one of your most recent insights notes that you had highlighted munis experiencing lower interest rate volatility when compared to treasuries and equities. Can you talk to us a little bit about the, the opportunity, the signals? Yeah. I, I mean,
2: I think that it highlights the uncorrelated nature of the muni market, um, the benefits of the the, the um, diversification benefits it can provide in an overall portfolio. I think rates, period, and we're speaking about treasuries, are just caught up in a vicious cycle. Um, you know, it's, it's higher rates cause higher funding costs, which... Cause higher debt issuance, and it's a rolling concession. Um, and focus on the debt, and how do you actually improve that situation? I think it's through higher taxes. So part of the conversation is what is that tailwind, and how does it create and flow to through to performance? You know, beyond the subset per, sunset provisions of the individual tax reform uh, come twenty twenty five.
1: Um, you're stealing my next question already. Yeah, no,
2: I, I'm just, you know, I mean, look, the government in 2017 through, um, you know, that reform, I think created, did a lot of damage for the market uh, long term by lowering the corporate tax tax rate. Um, more importantly, there was no grandfathering like in 1986 and corporations were really quick to, uh, to sell. Um, you know, 86, yes. you had this runoff. Uh, that lasted, you know, decades, and you uh, managed to create a foundation that stuck with it, which was the institutional buyer, which we don't have anymore. I, I'm just of the opinion that given the, the focus on debt and deficit, that nothing and, in, in, you know, fo- my opinion is nothing in, in Washington is permanent. And, you know, that, that corporate tax rate is, is soon to be touched again.
1: Well, I mean, like, I guess on the flip side, wouldn't that mean that as those rates revert back to their, you know, pre-TCGA status that that will bring those buyers back into our market and hopefully on the margin, you know, up interest? Yeah,
2: I think there's a lot of pent up demand Um, and I don't think it takes much higher of a corporate tax rate to engage, Um, you know, beyond the um, diversification benefits of the asset class and the obviously income accretive nature of what that would mean. Um, yeah you know, the 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 asset period provides a sound um, offset to you know, asset liability management you know we're defeasing lifestyles we're defeasing liabilities you know the fact that we live in a more regulatory environment regulated environment whether you're pointing to some of the things with the National Association of Insurance Commissions or solvency 2 um, there's capital efficiency being created in this market or can be created and you know, I think that um, you know, it just really takes. You're already seeing some of it happen in the taxable muni market, but to the broader point, um, it it doesn't it won't take much of, a, of an increase in that corporate tax rate to to engage that
1: audience again. So, do you think the structure of the market is going to be a slight challenge? Because, look, in, in my mind, right, the attractiveness of muni's for those buyers when they were involved. Was sort of those lower coupon structures to keep the dollar price low, keep duration high, and match up to those long dated liabilities. Right now, they've really seen sort of what convexity damage can do to their balance sheet. Do you think that's going to dissuade you know interest at all coming back into munis or make it a little bit more challenging because then they're looking for you know higher coupon structures? Yeah, I I think you know institutional buyers are. are-
2: very sophisticated. They, they're they well aware of the minimus tax. Um, you know, they rely on professional management like us all in the industry that help guard against that, that convexity risk. I think to your point, it's really, um, you know, centered around the banking system, given given the outcome of uh, Silicon Valley Bank. Um, historically, having the industry having yield seeking behaviors, going after deep discounts That's why, you know, all those bonds that came out were were quality, mostly quality credits, just just poor structures, trading 70 cents on the dollar.
1: Um, Yeah. Yeah. We know now what we're seeing are are new deals coming out, especially on the the comp side with, you know, 7% coupon structures. You know, is that something we're going to see continue to see more and more of going forward? Yeah, I mean, I, I think as as rates inch up, obviously you want to build more protection.
2: Um, it's not to divorce uh, the the lower coupon structures. I think you know, um, you know clearly they have a, a a liquidity component when it comes to retail, um, not wanting to pay a premium or having guards against paying a, a, a above a certain degree. Um, but you know, for long term investors, b- building better rate guard in portfolios. You know, I do think that, that higher coupons begin to begin to become the norm.
0: So what for, for those um those bondholders that, that may be holding on to bonds that have moved into to discount discount territory, what silver linings are there for, for them? Would it be like tax loss harvesting?
2: Yeah, i I mean the silver lining is really the fact that um you know, you have a bifurcation going on between the, the secondary and new issue market. I mean, for as many complaints about the move that we've had over the last couple of weeks and you know, higher supply and the disruption it's being you know, it's gonna create, deals are getting done at fair spreads. They're, you know, oversubscribed. The retail components are significant. Uh, and, you know, you have to respect the fact that new issues provide acceptance to the market. And most, if not all uh, within the industry are just more comfortable buying them. Um, you know, I'd say in the secondary market, given the growth of, um, you know, the, the electronic trading platforms, um, you know, there's, there's uh, significant liquidity in discounts. The silver lining is the fact that you're buying bonds at deep discounts well below any type of recovery or default risk. And, um, you know, having the retail component um, as, a, as a liquidity
1: outlet uh, as they
2: run back to par.
1: I mean, does retail truly understand, you know, how that capital gains implication actually plays out, you know, when those bonds mature and a bill is due? Because um, I feel like it's a question we get a lot. And I always, you know, my answer is always you, you got to talk to your tax professional, you know, to give you sound advice there. But it, it seems like a lot of people don't know. Uh, but they're, they're trying to learn on the fly.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's been very few events um, that we've lived through in the last couple years. And, you know, for those that have been doing it a long time, have, have witnessed a lot more. Um, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised, you're right, at how often the questions come up and what's the minimum tax and how do you calculate it? And what is the tax liability? Uh, and, you know, personally, I just don't think many systems or processes are built to analyze that, that convexity risk, if you will, that jump risk and, and the liability associated with that? And how do you bring that back uh, in terms of uh, what you're actually willing to, to buy or sell a bond and from a credit perspective?
1: You, you just mentioned electronic trading platforms uh, you know, a minute ago, and I, it's a good jumping point to sort of pivot the conversation to you know, technology in our space. You know, from our seats, we observe more and more all these sort of smaller startups who want to compete in the in the pricing or the curves or, um, you know, any sort of the areas where they could you know, help drive more alpha for money managers. Where do you see, you know, technology advancing in our space or where do you see more of a need for? it? Yeah,
2: I think this is a mega trend. Uh, I think, um, you know, a lot in the industry are underestimating what comes next. Uh, I think there's some very smart minds, um, including what we're doing here at 16 Rock, uh, focused on this area beyond just algorithmic trading. Um, it's about forecasting, not necessarily outca- uh, now casting. Um, we're, we're talking beyond the ECNs, the the, the trading platforms. It's about predictive uh, predicting price um, and... Um, you know, in a world that's arguably cannibalizing itself through ETFs, how do you program, um, how do you put mathematics and learning applications behind uh, your alpha generation process? And um, I think, you know, there's a lot of us out there that are spending a lot of time on this, a lot of capital uh, partnering up with um, some uh, uh, pretty unique individuals and firms, uh, to deliver that, what comes next, uh, to, to, to be able to scale and, and, and deliver to clients, uh, this arbitrage opportunity.
1: I, I believe you were just at the, like a, the Muni tech forum a couple of right. weeks ago. I, 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 mean, any big takeaways, you know, from that, that the, you know, listeners would appreciate hearing about.
2: Yeah. I, I, I think for one, um, you know, it's really good to see some of the young minds that are coming into the business, you know, spline data, Muni chain, for example. Those guys, you know, they're hungry, man. Um, they think different, And, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, the initial stages of, uh, you know, algorithmic or putting math behind some of the processes has been po- mostly focused on regression based. And I think those guys or, you know, some of the participants in the audience are really, um, you know, trying to combat, you know, the issue or develop solutions in a, in a, in a more unique way um, from a curve background rather than, predict, you know, trying to come up with what price you should pay for every QSIP. Um, okay. I think that's one thing. You know, the, the other thing is obviously uh, the benefits that get created out of all this. To, and, you know, we're in this because of clients and to deliver thoughtful, uh, highly customized solutions and the benefits that we could create in terms of delivering that more acute focus. Um, you know, I find it pretty rewarding that a lot of people want to partner up with a small shop, a boutique shop like us, because, um, yeah. you know, we can make fast decisions and 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 spend the time um, working with them to, to help you know all of us succeed
1: and when you say a curves type approach is that credit curves or is it sort of that you know sort of age-old arms race to build the you know the best pricing curve you know the AAA or mmd or or what have you
2: yeah i I, you know i think that you know we should be thankful that we you know the ms we have a regulatory body the msrb that requires um you know timely reporting of trade data we have a long history of the data. We have, you know, many components of, you know, credit data and the continuing disclosure uh, side. And, um, you know, oddly enough, I mean, everything can be put into a bucket and cohorts can be created. Um, you could create odd lock curves, you could create rating curves, you could create coupon curves. Um, and, you know, I think how you go about developing those and what you do with them is, is obviously, you know the, the, yeah. um, you know, the proprietary side. But, um, you know, clearly, I think the data is out there finally
1: um, to, yeah. to be able to map. Look, I, I agree. And, and look, more competition is healthy. My one concern is that it's almost like paralysis by analysis you know, the, the more people who sort of jump into this, uh, because it, at the end of the day, right, you know, the people who are managing the portfolios are, are the ultimate gatekeepers as far as where the value is going to be. So it's like, how do you really sort of discern and see through the the weeds on 10 different curve issuers, right? Uh, because they could all be giving different signals of, of where the market is. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out in the next several years. What
0: are your what are your thoughts on the muni reporting time getting shorter and how that impacts the market?
1: Yeah, I mean,
2: I don't discourage it. I think it's fantastic that we have a regulatory body that's uh, that's always focused on doing the right thing and to increase that transparency and accountability, uh, especially back to the core buyer, the retail component of the market. Um, you know, I can't help but ignore the fact that, you know, I, I view... The retail component as important to this country, i.e., the benefits they receive from from financing infrastructure and sheltering in muni bonds, as savings deposits are to banks. Um, so I think it's a very sensitive topic, um, but one that should be highly regulated. Arguably, the shorter time takes out some of the arbitrage within the market, but you know, let's face it. I mean, there's many ways to skin a cat, and. And there's plenty of opportunities that can be scaled within this market. So, you know, for as many complaints, it probably creates ultimately longer opportunity.
1: Yeah, and it seems like, the, like most of the negative sentiment is coming from the dealer community because it adds more cost to an already, you know, sort of burdensome cost structure that they have to to be in this business. I'm going to ask you to sort of uh, keep your crystal ball out just one more time, and you know, look, every time we get into an election cycle. Um, you know, we have to sort of suffer through the different publications that uh, prognosticate the death of the tax exemption. Um, what what are your thoughts on that? You know, and, and are you going to see the end of a mini tax exemption in your career? And, you know, I, I guess almost like a twofold question, right? If the exemption went away tomorrow, is that necessarily a terrible thing, given all the positives we highlighted earlier in this conversation, given sort of the, um, you know, balkanization in the market and all the positive credit
2: points, right? Right. Wow, there's a lot in that question. Um, good question, though. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, to your first point on higher cost, I mean that that just feeds into my great reset theme, which is, you know, why you're why you're seeing consolidation and compensation resets and all those sorts of things, uh, for better or worse. Uh, will I see an end to the tax exemption in my lifetime? Uh, yeah, I, 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 you know, I, I think you have to prepare for it. Um, I don't know if it will happen in my lifetime, but you know, what I'm highly focused on is that, you know, the, the federal government delivers the subsidy, uh, in, in a pretty inefficient way. Um, and I think a lot was learned during the build America bond error, albeit that that program was conceived well before that program was, uh, instituted in what was it? 2910. And, you know, I think that, um, you know, it, it, it really sh- highlighted the fact that um, municipalities don't have a printing press, right? It's why the salt tax becomes the third rail in every tax reform. And they need to rely on the federal government for assistance. How you deliver that subsidy uh, through BABS was directly to the issuer, albeit. You know, obviously, the taxation and revenue, there was a problem with that because global buyers were buying the debt, not wealthy individuals or individuals here within domestically. But the efficiency it created of bouncing infrastructure financing uh, off a global audience to lower interest expense for issuers, um, I think, was a a fantastic solution. Um, It preserved the the nature of, um, you know, local leaders know what's best for their local economies, Albeit some were were reluctant to partner with the federal governments given the given the um, the auditing requirements, but nonetheless, you know, in a world where we're highly focused on income equality, um, you know, and you know, the tax exemption really benefits only the wealthy or people that pay the most tax, and I think there's something to to, to question there. And, um, you know, I think that there there possibly could be a a more thoughtful solution. I also find it pretty interesting, you know, private activity bond cap was was doubled a couple of years ago from what, what, 15 billion to 30 billion. And given the massive amount of private capital that exists, um, you know, there's there's you know, the the modernization of the U.S. economy and what it takes to get there may be beyond uh, the acceptable financing levels or capital that that people are willing to commit. Um, And, you know, I could go on and on about this. I think, you know, it's pretty important beyond the retail component that You know, you work for a big company, you had deferred compensation within that company, given the success of of, and and the performance of those companies. You know, I just I I come back to this and why don't pension funds have the same rule, especially at the local level, given the many thousands of pension funds that that are out there that 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 really should be designed to supporting it to some degree, their local economies and and financing vis-a-vis muni bonds. Obviously they're not taxpayers. So taxable munis would be a, would be an ideal solution.
1: You know, I agree with you on in, in that. It is only a tax break for obviously the wealthiest individuals, but on on, an, on the flip side of that, I think the lower cost of financing certainly benefits every taxpayer who is, you know, home is being taxed or income is being taxed and supportive of those those structures. And I, I, I feel like at least my comfort level is that, well, they're not going to do a backdoor tax increase for everyone. But I, I just with the deficits we're running, I feel like nothing is sort of off the table anymore.
2: That's right. I wholeheartedly agree. Nothing in, nothing's permanent in, in D.C. And maybe maybe the corporate tax rate goes up, or maybe it doesn't. But you know, I think what's likely to happen is we get to get more thoughtful solutions around. Um, maybe it, it impacts the way we finance our infrastructure.
0: James, we'd like to finish this up with um, with a two for a question or two questions we often ask our, our guests. What is it that you are most excited about for 2024, and what it is, what is it that keeps you up at night?
2: Yeah. So. Um, You know, I'm most excited about the generational opportunity that's being created in in fixed income. You know, um, part of building a business, part of building successful outcomes is is about, you know, being lucky and and timing markets uh, uh, right. Arguably, you're never gonna be able to call the top, um, but having the ability to dollar cost average uh, and do it in a diversified way of credits and maturities and structures, and the long-term value that creates um, for balance sheets, um, for profitability, um, you know, as as transition for some of these businesses or individuals relies less on equity or underwriting, more towards uh, portfolio performance. Um, sorry about the noise, but we have the uh, the, the writer strike going outside Rockefeller Center right now. If you could hear, it, it's fantastic. Um, but. Um, yeah, I think that's um, that that's clearly on on top of the list of, of uh, what's most exciting. Um, I I think, you know, two is just I think the the transition To technology and and forecasting um, and artificial intelligence is is happening a lot faster than I think the market's recognizing. And, uh, you know, we're all going to be pleasantly surprised with some of the things that we're working on and our competitors are working on to deliver more thoughtful, customized um, and and better better alpha generation in a world that's moving towards beta with ETF solutions for for clients. Things that keep me up at night is, you know, um, you know, liquidity is, is obviously challenged. I think, you know, um, given the consolidation, uh, you know, it, it's the skilled labor gap is really in the technology side. Um, regulation has governed the ability to create compensation that attracts, you know, skilled traders or skilled uh, portfolio managers at big places. And, you know, what that means for liquidity, you know, obviously we see in, in periods of time, like uh, over the last couple months, um, I think there's obviously ways to, to, to profit and arbitrage and create opportunities from that. But, you know, generally speaking, it's been, you know, it's it's been more of an issue of late. Um, and just you know the backdrop of us of, of are we on an imminent recession or, you know, imminent recession risk or you know is it a, a narrow path towards one and what are the credit situations that creates and you know are those uh, potential defaults or problem credits a more isolated event um, so far so good in a world post um, you know monoline penetration albeit rising but less so uh, you know wrapping as much as the market you know it was it was. You know as bad as the situation of the wildfires of hawaii the the credit profile and trading was well contained puerto rico is well contained albeit you you know painful experience getting here and um and, uh, you know, I think that, you know, default trends and, and, and those problems, um, you know, that are happening in the commercial real estate market more recently, for example, what that all means at the local level, um, and where are those demographic areas most concentrated, I think, you know, really, uh, you know, really look, has us, you know, look, has us researching a lot of zip code data and demographic data and to, to building smart guard for, for clients.
1: Well, Thank you, James. This has been a fantastic thank conversation. You, we really appreciate it and wish you the best of luck uh, building out the platform over at 16 Rock. Uh, for those listening, please join us next month. We'll be joined by Andy Calate, uh, president of Calate Advisors, where we discuss the chat's most favorite subject, OAS and de minimis. You're not going to want to miss this, or maybe you will. I don't know. It depends. All right. Talk to you next month.